Sales Tuners, Episode 2, Derek Grant, Vice President of Sales at SalesLoft. It's such an unusual phenomenon that reps believe if they go in with a cheaper price point that people will buy from them, and that oftentimes means they didn't show a ton of value in the process. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time, it's time, it's time. It's Sales Sooner's time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Aristotle, who said, We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. Today, I get to talk to Derek Grant. Derek is a proud member of SalesLoft, a software product built for outbound sales professionals and one of Atlanta's best places to work, where he serves as vice president of sales. As you will hear, Derek is a treasure trove of experience in all stages of the buying cycle. He told me that he somehow managed to cram a four-year degree into seven wonderful football seasons at Florida State University, and being one that seems to always be outdone by his big sister, Derek actually got to watch her be fired by Donald Trump on the second season of The Apprentice. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. A big thanks goes out to the team at Okta for helping make this podcast possible. We all know that a better sales process creates a better buying experience, and Octave is transforming the way sales documents are created, distributed, and tracked. Check out a demo at Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com. All right, be sure to check out all the links and show notes at SalesTuners.com. But now, let's get to the conversation where Derek tells me about how he got his first VP of sales job on Craigslist. Yeah. Uh, one thing that you uh, that you miss, I don't share with a lot of people, but on my bio is that I actually uh, found uh, an early VP of sales job, my very first one on Craigslist back in 2007. And I know for the millennials that are out there listening today, Craigslist, boy, it has such a, a seedy reputation. Uh, but at the time, you could find a used sofa or a VP of sales job on it. And so I was super excited to land that job at Pardot and uh, was able to ride that wonderful journey all the way through an acquisition through Exact Target and Salesforce and what a great journey that all started in a place that you probably wouldn't expect to find a, a job. I would say so. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. Like you said, sofas and uh, VP of sales jobs. So uh, that's fun. Derek, so like I said, tell me also maybe what you're passionate about when you're not at work. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I, you know, As you mentioned in the intro, I did spend seven of the finest years of my life uh, getting an undergrad at Florida State University. And I'm still a huge very passionate football fan. I really enjoyed going to Orlando a couple of weeks ago and watching them uh, beat Old Miss like a drum. Uh, and I'm excited to go and follow the Knowles several times uh, as we move on through this football season. And I'm also a new dad, uh, relatively new. I have a one and a half year old and uh, have a, a new one that's going to be coming into the world in December. And if I find that guy that uh, that knocked my wife up, I'm <laughs> so mad. Uh, but I'm I'm really excited. I'll be the father of two girls, which is uh, terrifying. Uh, and, uh, my daughter, she's, uh, she's got a lot of personality is the way to describe it. And so I'd say she's mean, just like her mama, 
Uh, but I'm you know, really enjoying being a dad. It's changed a lot of my life and made me be a little more rigorous in what I do during the day so I can get home and, and spend a little bit of time with the little one before she goes to bed. So it's, it's been a true life changer in a really good way for me. I love how you put that. I think so. I have a three-year-old little boy, and it's the exact same thing. Like once he came into the world, my day now is very structured and scheduled because I know that if I start fooling around in the workday, all I'm doing is robbing him of his time with dad and, right. and, and my time with him. So I love love hearing that. That's that's exactly the way I feel about it. Uh, our co-founder talked about seasons of life, and someone asked him about writing a book, and he said, you know, at this point, my the season of life is I want to really focus on my family, and in the future. When my family has grown or they have gone to college or then maybe I would take on in a new season of life a, a, a task like writing a book. And so I, my season of life has changed and it's been really, really cool. And I never thought I'd be a father. And so it's great to now be on the precipice of doing it for a second time. Well, congratulations to you on the on the new one coming in December. Derek, let's let's go way back. So before you were hunting for VP of sales jobs uh, on Craigslist, uh, how did you get into sales? Uh, so getting into sales for me was a weird journey. I never wanted necessarily to be in sales. I've always considered myself to be a little bit of the, the reluctant salesperson. Uh, I worked at a technology company in Tallahassee, Florida. It was one of just a couple of high tech companies that were there. It's where Florida state is. And that's why I was in college and I got a job doing night shift tech support. And, uh, from there it moved into a software training gig. And then I did a product, a project management job. And I'd been there for or five years. And one day the VP of sales stuck his head out of the office and said, uh, would you want to be in sales? And it was uh, a really weird and sort of interesting moment. I was in grad school at the time and was halfway through and I was going to be uh, taking a job in the Midwest. My territory was a bunch of places that uh, that I'd never been and, and where there wasn't a lot of technology, unfortunately. But as it turned out, I, I took the job and it, it was really a, a life changer for me. Uh, and I was mentioning in the pre-show uh, that job actually, uh, going to that job, flying from Tallahassee through Atlanta, because there's nothing direct out of a small airport. <laughs> sure. Uh, I was in the crown room. So that dates it. This is probably 2004, uh, and was, uh, was calling in, in the morning and was confirming appointments out in my territory. I was heading to Arkansas that week. And, uh, a gentleman who never introduced himself was sitting within earshot and he actually wrote down my contact info and called me the next week and said, listen, I, I met you in the crown room, but we never actually made eye contact. Uh, but I actually wrote down your contact info. I, I eavesdropped on you and I want you to come work for us. And so that job actually led me to my second job, which ultimately led me to my third job, uh, finding, uh, finding part out on Craigslist. And, and so a really cool journey from that first position in sales. I, I seriously, I just love hearing that. I would love to to go more and just you know hear about how you actually found that job on Craigslist. But uh, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna put that to the side and and move into to the meat of the show. But you know, so as we talked about, there's three main sections of this show. We talk about the behaviors, the attitudes, and the techniques that that get great salespeople to do what they do. And so as we start with the behavior, which is just simply what you do. Talk to me a bit about your sales process today. How does someone buy from you at Salesloft? Yeah, uh, great question. So our technology at Salesloft is really geared on the the person whose uh, job requires that they be out talking to people and scheduling their own meetings. Our technology is really designed to uh, to help top of the funnel sales reps and sales reps that actually carry a pipe gen quota be really intentional and pleasantly persistent through a series of phone, email, and social touches. Really, really powerful. And so our, our sales development teams, we have an inbound and an outbound team, they use our technology to stay in touch with prospects and to 
uh, to really hit them the average of seven times necessary to turn them from a suspect uh, into a prospect. And once they do that, they flip those over to an AE, and our AEs are getting about 40 meetings on a monthly basis from their SDR counterparts, which is great. Uh, and from there, our reps go in, they, they disco, so they do the initial uh, discovery, uh, they then demo, and then they work over the span of about 30 days through a sales process that's going to result in about a quarter of those uh, closing and becoming customers and joining us in the the sales off family. Uh, and you know, one of the things that that I am proud to say, and I know some of the folks that are listening to the show may not necessarily like what I say next, is but our reps get enough meetings from their uh, SDR counterparts to be able to make their number. But my job's not to help them make the numbers, for them to be able to beat their number, kill their number, crush their number. And so we actually force them to go out and do lead gen themselves, which if you're not asking your reps to do that, you've got the lazy old dogs on the porch that may not be able to hunt. And so every day, every week, we ask them to get out and source two of their own opportunities using our technology, using phone, using email, using social, prospecting. Uh, into their patch. And we found it to be really good from a skills sharpening perspective. Uh, And and it gives them extra in case maybe they're not as efficient with the ones they get from SDR. Uh, And if they are as efficient as they should be with those, now they're going to just beat their numbers to death. And so we we really do like not only just getting meetings from other people, but also sourcing some of our own. That's terrific. I want to unpack several of the things you just said there. So uh, you said that they are required to get two opportunities of their own. Was that per week or per month? Per week. And so uh, they, they should be working about 48 meetings during the span of a month. Uh, and so we ask them to go out and it's, you know, between all the other meetings they're doing, we ask them to go out and make 50 calls. And, and based on our connect rates, they're going to have about 10 conversations. It's triage two of those into someone that would have enough interest to go and sit down with us and let us learn a little bit about their business. Got it. And you use the phrase, Derek, uh, pleasantly persistent. Uh, I'm a big fan of sales loft. And one of the phrases that I've heard your team use before is personalization at scale. But talk to me about the uh, the messaging, like what, how are you opening up these doors? Uh, What, what, how are you getting people on the phone? How are you setting 10 appointments per week uh, for your AEs? It's really, really important that we stand out. And I, I think that's really what the, the principles behind cadence are. Uh, you know, you've got a great marketing department at your company, and they're sending out emails that have mail merges in them. Hi, first name. I'm rep name with company name. We provide value prop. So marketing is getting those out in the world, uh, and that's great. But those don't really elicit amazing response rates. Uh, and so for us, it's all about going out and digging into the person. I'm, I'm sure your your listeners probably know Vorsight and and uh, Steve Richard and his theory of three by three, three minutes to find three interesting things about the prospect. But if, if our email templates, which we give all of our sales development reps templates because they are the most, uh, you know, they're generally the newest people in the company and they're not Bill Shakespeare, right? I mean, they shouldn't be writing our value prop. We should be telling them what the value prop is. Here, send something that looks and feels like this. But instead of the email starting with, hi, I'm rep with Sales Loft and we help you turn more of your suspects into prospects and qualified meetings. We will go out and find something interesting like uh, you through using a tool like Owler. I'm not sure if your audience has seen Owler, but it's crazy good. Uh, hey, congrats on the funding. By the way, I'm sales rep name with Sales Loft, and we help you have more meetings. Uh, hey, congrats on the promotion. By the way, I'm sales rep with, uh, with Sales Loft, and, and we help you have more meetings. And so for us, it is personalizing that very beginning and also the end. Google calls it 108010, uh, but it is using unstructured data and research that happens while prospecting to be able to stand out. Because if you just want to send the high, I'm sales rep name with sales loft, 
your marketing team does that. It'll have less spelling errors, uh, and and fundamentally, they cost a lot less than the sales rep body does. And so we think if you're going to send an email out, it ought to be personal. It ought to be something uh, that is really going to resonate with the prospect. One of my favorite stories of a personalized email is uh, a VP of inside sales at a publicly traded company out on the West Coast. And this guy played football at Cal. And so our sales development rep waited until Cal lost in the NCAA tournament. So first he was timely and sent him an email that said, hey, sorry to see Cal lost, but even at this moment, you'll always have the 1982 Alamo Bowl where you scored your only touchdown and had a video of the guy scoring his only collegiate touchdown in that bowl game. That's crazy. He gets That's stuff every incredible. day that is that is purporting the 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 value of their technology. I'm sure he's probably never seen a video of himself embedded in an email of him scoring a touchdown and nothing about our value prop. Uh, and so, you know, those are the types of approaches that we really like and we think are the difference makers in sales. Having that patience to wait on that as well, yeah. I think is is right. killer. Uh, right. Wow, that's that's really awesome. Yeah, that email could have gone at any time in the next month, right? And so, I uh, good thing Cal lost on the opening weekend. <laughs> no kidding, no kidding. So, uh, I, I, I got to ask, right? So you're you're setting forty appointments per AE per month. That's a lot of appointments. Yep. Um, if we go back up the funnel, obviously you're, you've got a lot more that you're putting into the the, the funnel to get down to those forty. You've talked about templates, but as you're crafting those or as your team is crafting those, how do you not just keep doing the same one over and over because you know it works? How are you doing testing with that? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. We, we actually do A-B testing as part of our app, but even if you're not using an app, it makes sense to A-B test every message that's going out. A really inventive story that I saw during our time at Pardot, our, our manager over there who ran uh, sales development, Ali Gooch. Uh, she actually named the templates things like the Rocky Balboa and the Even Drago. And so she had half the team send out the Rocky, half the team send out the, the Even Drago, and they would measure the responses they got back in a given week. And then that became their new email one. And then they would run uh, the Apollo Creed versus the Mr. T. And, and they, were, they were going out and just continuing to test, continuing to refine. Our tool makes it really easy because you can test based on open rates, click rates, uh, reply rates. but uh, Every, even if you think you have the, the uh, message really cited in it, it's perfect. It could always be a little bit better. Something that our, uh, our team did here using all of our customers' data anonymized was we went back and looked at the highest performing subject lines from an open click and response uh, perspective. And we found that the highest performing subject lines had three things in common. One was three words or less. So every time you feel compelled to sell your, your email in the subject line, don't. Uh, the second one was a mail merge field, whether it's first name, whether it's company name, uh, that was, was the second one. And the third one was a question mark. And so really the, the highest performing question mark would be, uh, my company name plus your company name question mark. That would be one that would almost be the unicorn of subject lines, but we know that. And now we recommend our customers test and test shorter subject lines and test, uh, punctuation subject lines and test mail merge and subject lines. And we would recommend that even our non-customers, anyone in sales, do that very same thing. That's great, Derek. I want to. I'm going to take a little bit of a step back now and kind of talk about you personally. So, is there a habit uh, or maybe a routine that you find yourself doing every single day? Uh, you know, for me, I, I think it's it's going in and, and really digging into the data. I've, I'm, I'm a fan of metrics based sales, and, and what I mean by that is 
is when we think about the number of meetings we need to be able to make our number, factoring our close rate and our ASP, like that is really what drives me as a, as a sales leader so that we're not doing it off the of swag. We're doing it based in science, based in math, uh, and, and working off of an actual numeric formula. And so something I do every day is dig in deeply on the numbers, whether that is uh, deals closed, whether that is amount that's in the pipeline, whether that is uh, reviewing all the losses, but it's really just burying myself in Salesforce.com. Uh, and so I'm, that's one of those tools that got to have, always got to gotta be looking into, but that's one of the really important habits I would recommend any sales manager have. And, and continuing with that, how do you take that data then? And, and what role does that play in your coaching uh, of your team specifically with your highest performing reps? For the highest performing reps, it's trying to figure out a way to help them do more. Um, you know, really one of the places where I see that type of information in Salesforce coming in and helping some of your, your lower performers is breaking your sales process down into a funnel and looking, all right, are they making the calls? I heard a great sales manager one time say it was a matter of skill and will. And he said, I can't really evaluate skill if you don't have the will. And so number one, are they doing the right number of behaviors that you know are necessary? Uh, and then if they are, are they doing the right number of calls off of that? And if they're doing the right number of calls, are they having the right number of conversations? And if that ratio is low, and so for us, we're expecting a 20% connect rate, and that's high. Uh, we have local dial, which grabs a local area code in there in the the recipient's region as a way to be able to raise that. But like we know what our connect rate should be. And if we see someone who has a lower connect rate than that, then it gives us a place to dig in. We're not trying to get to fix their sales process. We're trying to figure out how to improve their connect rate. And then if they have the connect rate and they're not able to actually convert it into a meeting, uh, then we know to dig there, do they have a weak value prop? Or are they selling to all the wrong people? And so we really do break it up from stage to stage to stage. And every week, our folks report in total number of activities, total number of calls, total number of conversations, total number of meetings scheduled, total number one, total amount of revenue one. Uh, and so they they report that weekly to me as part of the process. And if we see anything that is out of whack, it gives us not an entire spectrum of, of things that we need to work on to refine. It gives us just a, a small area where we can can dig in and say, well, help, help me understand who you're prospecting. Uh, here, what, pitch me really quick just to see how it sounds. And, uh, and it, it's really been, we think about it in terms of thin slicing the sales process. For your highest performers, a lot of times, for them, it's, it's more at the top of the funnel because they're really, really efficient late and, and deep in the funnel. They're really good at, at taking the interested party, the sympathetic ear, and turning them into a customer. So oftentimes for them, it's trying to figure out a way to, to get them to connect the dots that if you like more closed deals, you should do more of these behaviors that lead to closed deals. I have on my my monitor, my own monitor says DTB and just stands for do the behavior. It's my constant reminder that every single day, I know if I just do these tasks at the end of the month, I'm going to end up with the things that I need, the numbers that I need, and obviously the quota that I need. So I, I love hearing that. For for perspective sake, Derek, give me how big is your team? A uh, team is 12 right now. Uh, one manager, one sales ops person uh, is ancillary members to that. So 12 quota carriers. And then we have 20 sales development reps that are across uh, inbound and outbound. So just a little more than one to one on that SDR to AE. Yep, that's exactly right. And so uh, you know, we look to keep that ratio a little bit higher than that, but you know, right now we are looking at one-to-one. We're always looking for great sales development reps. So if you're in Atlanta and if you're a sales development rep listening to this, 
look me up. Uh, we'd love to talk to you and continue to, to blow that team out. There we go. I love it. I'm going to move us on to, uh, to attitude, right? And, and as we talked about, attitude is just simply, this is how you feel about what you do. And I think that uh, the mind and, and the emotion play a huge role into sales. So I, I want to talk about uh, money a little bit, right? So uh, I have seen in the past with, with myself and with reps that I've worked with and trained, there is a limiting factor sometimes with money that prevents them from asking for the sale. Can you give me and, and our listeners just a little bit of, of how you train that with your reps to maybe ask for a higher number, maybe ask for just a number in general, and really have that conversation about money? Yeah, it, it's such an unusual phenomenon that reps believe if they go in with a cheaper price point that people will buy from them. And that oftentimes means they didn't show a ton of value in the process. I was talking to one of our great reps uh, this morning, and he mentioned that he always sells at our third edition, our enterprise edition of service. So in one sales call, he can choose to marry rich or he can choose to marry poor. Hmm. And he always chooses to marry rich because you can always cut off of the highest. When you get down to the lowest and you start cutting, boy, that is really, really painful. Uh, the guy that ran all small business at salesforce.com made the comment to me that he didn't care if a rep discounted every deal always, but they were just going to have to sell one, two, or three more deals to make their number. But the good rep doesn't look at it that way. They say, how can I maximize the uptake of every deal? And when I sell that second, third, or fourth additional deal, now it hit, puts me over the top and into accelerators uh, with regard to my number. Uh, we have done a lot of coaching around things like not discounting until you have one of four reasons. And this came right out of the exact target school of selling. And so I give a lot of, uh, a lot of love to that group. They were, were wonderful in teaching us this, but uh, they actually would say that when the person would ask for the discount, you should always say yes, which probably seems counterintuitive to salespeople because aren't we saying we want to maximize and protect our upside? Uh, but their theory was this, four things you can do to get me to discount. Uh, if you sign a longer term commitment, I can discount more. So would you like to sign a two or three year deal? No, that, that's totally fine. We've we got three more things we can do. Uh, you have to buy our highest edition of service. So if you buy our highest edition, there's more fat that I can conceivably trim. Uh, so if you want to do that, then, then that's a, a volume. Uh, how much are you going to buy? If you're going to buy a ton, then I can go back to my boss and make a compelling case for why we might be able to get a little bit more off. Uh, and then the last one is, is timing of the deal and or timing of cash. Is it happening today? Or are you going to pay all up front? And so their theory was not cutting the price, when someone asks how much it costs, it's always list. And when they ask for something, you get something back, give to get uh, in return. And when you present discounts to customers in that way, and they're not willing to, to make the give to get the get, it helps protect your upside instead of saying, well, I can probably do 20%. My, rep, my manager said 20%. And then what happens next? Well, what if I sign today? Oh, uh, I don't know. I, I guess I could discount further. And now you're having to sell those extra deals to make your number. And so uh, our best reps are starting high. They are only discounting based on one of four factors. And they have a, a very fixed amount of discount that they're able to provide. Um, and you know, it's been really good for them to help them maximize the money that they make on each and every deal. You, you brought up that uh, you, that came from the exact target. And boy, did they build just an amazing sales machine. But one of the things that you said in there, I just want to uh, kind of maybe dig into that a little bit. You talked about the timing of when the deal was coming in. So yep. I, I've seen reps, you know, the, it's the end of the month, the end of the quarter. They're trying to hit their number. They're blasting out to all the people that are in their funnel. Hey, if you sign today, I can give you a discount, blah, blah, blah. Yep. 
But I've seen buyers then say, well, what you really did was just establish your new price because a that deal is going to be – yeah, that deal is going to be there next week and the week after that and the week after that. How do you how do you prevent that? It's one of those really tough things to do. Uh, the exact target school of selling, one of the things that they really focused in on was keeping it very nebulous. Like, well, what if I don't get it done by Friday? Let's, listen, I, I don't know. I don't even want to think about that. Like, you know, I, I went to my boss and went to bat for you and told him today. And so, like, I, I don't even want to begin to, to consider – what might happen if it doesn't happen on Friday, but rather Monday? And so let's just really work really hard together to get it done on uh, on Friday. John Barrows, who I think is is brilliant, and we we love him very much here at Salesloft. Uh, he had a, a funny comment one time that was uh, the best way not to discount anything is to have more pipeline than you need. And so those desperate reps that you're talking about, who are throwing out the the end of month, end of quarter discounts, uh, if those folks are already at their number or had pipeline that they knew would get them to their number, they don't have to play crazy Uncle Al's everything must go sale. Uh, they can actually hold their price firm and quite frankly, strip line people if they want to. Like, ah, maybe this isn't the right fit for you. Uh, oh, if you're telling me a price 5% higher is too much for you, well, you know, maybe you don't have the money to buy this to begin with. And strip line them and know that some of those will come back and swing back to the positive side of the pendulum. Uh, because they really do want to do business and just expected the sales rep to capitulate on price. Yeah, discounts are tough, and that's why you have to attach them to a behavior. Uh, and if you do attach them to a behavior, if they don't come in on Friday as well, you can always say, well, you know, 5% was contingent on Friday. Now they could always say, well, what about next Friday? Uh, maybe. Let's talk about it then. But if you attach discounts and price concessions to a behavior, they don't ex- exhibit the behavior, then you can pull that back and not seem like a jerk for doing it. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I heard a few things in there, Derek, that uh, sounded very Sandler-esque. Do you have uh, any professional sales training or methodologies in your background? Uh, we love, I'm, I want to be a teacher when I grow up. So once I'm done with startups, uh, my goal in life would be able to be a teacher. So I really do love good instruction. I think I can appreciate it as much as anybody. And so We've done work with Jim Ryerson. We've done work with John Barrow, Steve Richards, uh, Trish Bertuzzi. So we, we love all of those folks. I've not been classically Sandler trained, although we had the opportunity to at Salesforce, and I regret that, uh, that I didn't go and see Guru Ganesh, who's awesome. Uh, but but with that said, uh, we do love the Sandler methodologies of strip lining, of upfront contracts, of digging deep into the pain funnel. Those are really powerful uh, things that every sales rep should, should and could read about and, and learn more about. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. I want to move on a little bit and talk about, you know, uh, we briefly mentioned high performing sales reps, but how do you, and, and you and I both, we talked before the show, we know several of the same people that uh, from exact target days, yep. you know, Brian Tomey, John Kwiatkowski, Matt Yoles, just guys that just killed it. Uh, but how do you sustain this, this high growth and high performance uh, without getting burnt out? It's hard. You know, sales is, I, I tell our reps that sales really is hazard pay. Uh, you have higher upside, uh, but you also are, have a much more riskier position than maybe someone who's doing tech support, uh, but their earning potential is way, way lower. But there comes a lot of pressure with that. And so our team, they do some really interesting things to be able to keep focus and to really uh, zone in on for these these 21 day sprints month over month over month over month as they're uh, making their number. One of the really cool things that that our company does is we send out a deal notification out of Salesforce.com whenever uh, a deal is closed, and it's great to see everyone else chime in because I think that success breeds success. The old adage of A players beget A players, and so when you see a peer close a deal, you want to close one too. 
and and there's this great response and it was like nice job and then you'll see a few more follow on the heel so those things really travel in packs those deal notifications and so those are something that I think give the the reps faith that what they're doing is the right thing and that it can work and they're seeing success from some of their peers that's uh, that success oh, begets success. I, yep. I couldn't agree more. Uh, when I was talking to, to John Kwiatkowski, you know, I said, how did you do it for so long? You know, he was at exact for 14 years. I said, how were you at the top of a really good sales organization for 14 years? And, and what he said to me is kind of what you just said. He's like, look, yeah, I was there for so long. And at some point you don't want to be not there. And, yep. uh, it's just, it's so powerful and, and so true. Our folks, you know, they also do some things like monthly outings. We, uh, we have that uh, budgeted as part of the the annual budget to be able to go out and do something monthly. And I think it's great for them to be able to h- hang out when they don't have to hang out. And one of the things we always shoot for is 100% attendance, but not because we're going to you know penalize them or really lean in on them or, or whatever. If they don't show up, we just like want to hang out with your peers. We had a wonderful uh, Korean uh, barbecue, Korean karaoke night uh, last month, and it was a lot of fun. It was great to see people out of their element and just acting ridiculous. So that was a fun one. We also use level 11 just to be able to help drive daily performance. Uh, they're in the gamification, they call themselves Fitbit for sales, uh, but it just lets reps know on a daily basis, are they doing the right behaviors to be able to get to the goals that they've set out for themselves? I like it. Derek, I want to, I want to talk to, to you about technique. Again, this is just how you do what you do. Uh, and I want to dive in with you. You've talked a lot about prospecting at the very uh, beginning of the sales cycle, but let's go more toward the end, toward the close. And let's talk about a, objection handling. I, I've had a few listeners tell me to start asking the question, what's your favorite objection and, and how do you respond to it? So status quo is by far the biggest killer of deals in an emerging space. And so we're in a little bit of a disruptive position uh, as we're taking people who were just doing telephone before or just using an email to Salesforce tool, and we're saying you should combine those, you should do them in a process, you should be intentional, and don't forget social. Uh, and what we find a lot of times is people will go in and, and they'll say, well, you know, we're just going we're gonna to stick with what we were doing. Uh, and so for us, it's really important. It's not really the objection at the end, but really the ones at the beginning to be able to dig in deeply on discovery and get them to acknowledge that they would like to do more, that they can't measure something. And once we've done that, then it becomes easier to defeat status quo because you can always loop them back around to, yeah, but you said your reps weren't doing the number of touches you wanted. Now, yeah, you, you said you wanted them to have more conversations. So we have local dial. Yeah, you, you know, you said that you can't measure the process because you're locked in salesforce.com task. Like you said all these things. Uh, and so we're always looping them back to, to their own acknowledgements almost uh, in discovery that we can use to defeat status quo. You know, Henry Ford was quoted famously as saying, if you'd asked people what they wanted, they'd have set a faster horse. And so whenever you have something that is true, truly revolutionary, that truly is paradigm shifting, you do have to go in and convince them that this is, is it's not them doing the thing they're doing better, but it's doing something completely different that will help them get to their goals. You know, one of the Sandler techniques is to go in and ask those level two deep questions of, you know, you want them to make more phone calls. Uh, what have you tried in the past to make that happen and get them to acknowledge and, and do a little bit of confession with you, quite honestly, like, well, you know, we, you know, we, you know, we kind of chained them to their desk for a while and told them they get fired if they didn't make the number of calls. It's like, well, are they still doing it? No, it didn't. You know, oh, okay, great. So it didn't really change behavior, but you terrified them into doing it. great. That's just good to know. But asking them to acknowledge what it was they have tried unsuccessfully 
is a way to be able to beat status quo at the end because it's, yeah, listen, you, chances are, you told me three things you tried and you haven't been able to get there. Chances are the fourth or fifth thing's not going to work either. You ought to think about this from a new paradigm and, and consider not a faster horse, but rather a new class of technology. I know this is just audio, but if you could see the smile on my face, it would, it's just, I'm just grinning from ear to ear. I absolutely love, love that. It. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, talk to me, maybe let's talk about a little bit um, in, in whether it be your reps or maybe you specifically, what's the most common thing you've seen happen uh, when a sales rep loses control of the sales process? Uh, so for us, our, as I mentioned, our sales cycle is, um, is in the 30 day range. And so you can pretty quickly scan through the pipeline. I'm a huge chatter user. I love the asynchronous manner of communication. So I can look through the pipe and say, you know, at, at mention them and what's going on here. And you begin to see things happening when they're losing control of a deal. And the first one is the age gets outside the scope of where we're comfortable. And so when you see that 90, that hundred day deal, uh, you start to realize like, ah, I ought, to, I ought to look in on this. And then we use the Salesforce uh, push counter capability as well. So it tells you how many times the can has been kicked down the road. So you see a 90-day deal, it's been kicked twice. Mm. It's like, uh, seems like we're not making good progress. But usually on those deals, it's a complete absence of discovery. That usually is the thing that that drug the deal out because status quo can win in that case. Like, you know, they they didn't they don't really know how they're going to change the customer's life, and they can't articulate that to the customer. Uh, and so the the ones that go long usually have the lightest notes. They usually have the least detailed information, and they start to stand out like a sore thumb on a, a thumb on a pipeline report. And when you really press the rep on it, they begin to not be able to give you the answers that allow you to keep it alive and in the month or in the quarter. So you, you said lack of discovery, and I just want to go a little bit further with that. But uh, sometimes it's because the the uh, prospect, even though they took your phone call, you set that appointment, you're asking them the right questions, but they're just not giving you anything, right? Uh, how do you how do you get them to open that that up? You know, we something we found it's a phenomenon that we've seen. You know, we have the outbound and the inbound team, and the person who comes inbound, they have to open up. Right. They are in the Glen Gary analogy where uh, where uh, the character Blake says no one walks on the lot unless they want to buy. This is the person's walked on the lot. And you can make them walk over broken glass from a discovery standpoint. I mean, you can ask them their social security number and they almost feel like they have to give it to you. Where we see a lot of the guardedness in prospects is on the outbound. So we called them. So assumption is they fit our ICP. And so often when you want to do a thorough discovery, which here's just, just show me your demo, demo boy. Okay. It's really hard to do a Harvard tour and sell anything uh, because you aren't speaking to pain. You don't really know what their needs are. And so we are, are doing a model called burst discovery. And on outbounds, burst discovery allows us to do a short burst at the very beginning, which is just tactical. Like tell me your tech stack. Tell me about your team. What's their KPIs? What are they measured on? How, how do they know they're, they're doing the job? Awesome. And then as we're going through the actual demo, we will use pieces of the application as a backdrop for questioning. Uh, and so when we're showing a cadence and talking about an 11 by 21 day cadence that includes phone, email, and social, and you know, uh, doing all of these, these different uh, motions, selling motions to be able to get in front of a prospect, we're using that as an opportunity to pause. And with that as the visual behind us, say, tell us about your process. Right? What, what role does phone play? Okay, you're not using phone. Why not? Have you tried that in the past? Uh, okay, great. Uh, why aren't you still continuing to use it? Great. And from an email perspective, we're using automation. Do you personalize? And we can then ask another. We, we sort of are, have earned the right to ask a few more questions and then show a little more product, 
and ask a few more questions and show a little more product and, and, uh, and show and ask a, a few more questions. It's really that give to get model. I know, and I, I love, uh, Keenan, uh, the a sales guy, and he has a, a, a document on how to do a, what he calls a kick-ass product demo, but his is always no, no disco, no demo. Hmm. And that works if you're selling true enterprise, uh, grade solutions when it's hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. But if you're selling something that has got a lower price point on it, sometimes doing an hour call before the hour call isn't really practical. Uh, and so we've blended them together, but we know that on inbound, we can go super heavy and get all our questions answered up front. On outbound, we need to be really empathetic to them as a, as a buyer and as a participant in this meeting and ask them a little bit and get a little bit and then give a little back. And so that's really been a model that we've seen work really, really well for those guarded prospects. I'd love to check back in with you and see how that continues to evolve. I recently talked to uh, Adam Weber, who I think you know as well, yep. uh, from Bluebridge slash um, Amplify. But you know, he has it basically, it's not a one call close, I'll be very clear of that, but it's a one call where he runs through the entire sales process, including the demo and pain budget decision, you know, everything. Yep. And um, it's it's very specific how his reps have to get certain things out of it in order to get that demo uh, on that first call. So I love hearing that. Derek, I'm going to take a quick break so that we can thank our sponsors and then we'll come back uh, for the money round. So don't go away. And sales tuners, don't you go away either. Sales tuners, Octave has built a sales productivity platform that streamlines the workflow for creating and managing your sales documents. Everything from presentations and quotes to all of your proposals and contracts. They can pull data from your CRM, CPQ, and ERP systems, saving you time and accelerating each sales opportunity. Octave has been around since 2010 and now serves more than 400 organizations. I'm talking global enterprises, guys, like GE and Siemens, national brands like Angie's List and FedEx Office, and even industry innovators like Double Dutch and Lindemood Bell. You've got to check them out. Go to Octave.com. That's O-C-T-I-V.com to learn more. And hey, during your demo, be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Sales Tuners podcast. We're back and it is time for the money round. Derek, are you ready for the money round? I am. How much money do I get if I answer all these right? Well, this is not the the price is right. So uh, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Bob. I'm just kidding, Jim. So here we go. Uh, Derek, what's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Uh, I think that the one thing that makes me different than a lot of my peers is really going in and being a little bit of a data nerd, a little bit of a, a person that is focused on metrics more so than than salesmanship. I think knowing the numbers, knowing how you're going to get to your number is really uh, the most powerful way to be able to be a long-term fixture in sales. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you spend your next 30 days doing? I would learn from someone who was crazy good at discovery uh, because Every book that you that a, the young salesperson gets is all about the close. It's about getting them to close. But so many deals get lost on the open. We were talking about this a little earlier, the very specific set of information that reps need to have. And if they don't have those, the deal is unlikely to happen. They're in the, the cool category. And if they have those things, they can really dig in on pain and take their solution, not as a vitamin, but rather a painkiller that the person has. So if I could start over in sales... Uh, I would really, really learn to do discovery really thoroughly instead of focusing on anything else in the process. Derek, which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose. So as a rep, I always hated to lose. Uh, just it, it hurts. It, you know, it just really 
stays with you and it's like a, a little thing that that you know just bothers you a little black cloud that follows you around but in a, as a manager and in a manager role I actually have found myself leaning more toward the love to win side of the house because you you don't control the deals as deeply anymore you're really depending on other people to be able to do a lot of the the heavy lifting and so rather than feeling the loss of of every deal I really do like to celebrate every win and really make that a big thing. And I think that helps uh, get rid of some of the burnout that you were talking about earlier. What's a book uh, that you've read multiple times or always seem to be uh, recommending to others? It's going to sound like a, you probably expect a sales book here, but uh, but I really, really, really love the book Moneyball. I'm a huge Billy Bean fan. And the reason that I think that it has a lot to do it is really relevant and has a lot to do with sales is I think it's the ultimate sales management playbook uh, because Billy Bean was really specific on who it was that he was going to hire. He didn't go out and get the guy that had the five tools. Uh, he was getting people who had a high own base percentage. He wasn't overpaying for talent. Uh, he was really scientific in the way that he evaluated those. And I think you can really build a sales team on that versus, you know, in the book, they use the anecdote of you should only uh, you should only draft a player who has a pretty girlfriend uh, because that player has confidence. A lot of times we as sales managers get snowed under by the the sales pitch that the guy or gal does during the interview. And if you can go a level deeper, if you can be scientific in how you find them, how you evaluate them, uh, and ultimately how you onboard them and judge them through the process, I think there's a, a ton of value there. And I think Billy Bean, he did it for the Oakland A's, but I think it's something that works for every sales manager out there as well. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Derek's suggestion of Moneyball for free, head over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Derek, what's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding right now? So I read this on a blog from Topo, and I think it really has a lot to do with your uh, DTB theory, but I, I think it's really going in and having each one of them do a bottoms up evaluation of what they need to do today. And yeah, their quarter is to make this number, but in order to do that, I need to close X number of deals per day. In order to close X number of deals per day, I need to have Y number of conversations. In order to have Y number of conversations, I need Z number of total activities. In order to have Z number of activities, I need to source this many prospects. And, and really this idea of, of the really modern and sophisticated selling rep having a complete bottoms up view of each minute of their day, what number of activities need to happen on the second Tuesday of the quarter to be able to get there on the last day of the quarter, as opposed to taking days off and not really being focused throughout. So I, I love DTB. I, I love the bottoms up evaluation uh, from a behavior perspective. And I'll get you out of here on this one. Uh, how could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after this uh, conversation? Find me on Twitter, Derek Grant, D-E-R-E-K-G-R-A-N-T. Also, feel free to email me, Derek.Grant at SalesLoft.com. That's Derek, D-E-R-E-K dot Grant, G-R-A-N-T at SalesLoft, L-O-F-T dot com. Derek, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time today and all the wisdom you just provided for sales tuners out there. Thanks for having me and, uh, and everybody go and close this quarter strong. Wow. I'm still reeling from that conversation. This is one of those where I took a lot of notes myself, and I feel like I'm going to be referring back to this often for my own benefit. But uh, let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, be pleasantly persistent. Keep pursuing your prospects using personalized messaging while communicating value. 
Over time, the relationships will unfold so that you can spend your time on qualified and interested buyers. Number two, make it personal. Although tempting, don't just use a templated email that you know won't get opened. Number three, email subject lines. Using anonymous data across all clients, SalesLoft has determined the top subject lines had three things in common. First, they were three words or less. Second, they contained some sort of mail merge data, such as a first name or a company name. And third, they contained a question mark. Number four, discounting. While obviously wanting to maximize contract values, there are four appropriate situations where you can provide a discount. First, signing a longer term commitment than what was proposed. Second, buying the highest version or package of the service. Third is volume, buying a higher quantity of the package or service. And last is timing or cash. Are you able to buy today or pay cash upfront for the entire order? Again, an absolutely incredible conversation with Derek today. I feel like my takeaways could have just been a regurgitation of our entire interview, but uh, I chose to limit it to four. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email lists where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. And again, you can check out all the links and show notes for every episode at SalesTuners.com. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there!